Welcome back to Off Kilter, a podcast about the fight for economic liberation and what it will take to set us all free, powered by the Century Foundation. I'm Rebecca Vallis, and every week I go behind the music with visionary leaders and lightworkers working to reshape America's off-kilter economy into one where everyone can thrive and access the shared abundance we all deserve. I think of it kind of like a weekly trip to the Marvel Universe, but the superheroes I get to talk with every week work with law and policy. And something I learned years ago as a legal aid lawyer is how much it matters to have photo identification, something that you might take for granted if you've never been without it. Well, it turns out you can't do pretty much anything without ID in the U.S., from accessing public benefits to getting a job to getting an apartment and lots of other things, too. So for this week's episode, I am so incredibly excited to sit down with a dear, dear friend who has been leading the charge when it comes to ensuring that 26 million Americans who don't have ID have access to the IDs that they need to escape poverty, access benefits, vote, and otherwise be fully part of American society. And that's Kat Calvin. She's the CEO of the Project ID Action Fund. She's also the author of a brand new book called American Identity and Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist. Uh, I had the pleasure of getting to meet Kat for the first time several years ago. As part of a Rockwood leadership program, we were both in uh, more on that another time and always uh, enjoy our conversations off the air. So I am really, really, really excited to have you on the show for the first time, Kat. Um, I'll tell folks they can find more about you and your work and a a link to your your book and show notes. But welcome, welcome, welcome. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be on your famous show. Uh (laughs) And and also very excited that I have a book. Oh my god, I'm so excited! Let's hold. Can you like hold it up for the screen? Because it's it's like oh, uh, of course I can. Yay! Congratulations, friend. I know you've been working on this for a long, <laughs> long, long time. So before we get into the book um, and uh, why you wrote it and the story behind it and all those things, um, I generally start by asking um, my guests to introduce themselves the way that they want to be introduced to Off Kilter's listeners. And, and I'd love to give you a chance to share how you come to uh, this work. Sure. Um, hi, I'm Kat, listeners. It's nice to meet you. Uh, I will not start at birth. Uh, so I've always been, I'm a person who has is, is worked uh, and run nonprofits um, and has sort of always sought uh, solutions to um, economic equality uh, in a variety of ways. And I'm, I think the way that I came to, well, first of all, what I do I run uh, 501c3, Spread the Vote Plus Project ID, uh, and what we do in 21 states is we help people get government-issued photo IDs. So like Vallis said, uh, there are 26 million American adults who don't have ID. It's more than the population of every state except California and Texas. Uh, And without that, like she said, you can't do anything. Um, And so when you're looking at folks who are trapped in homelessness and poverty, people who have been touched by the justice system, uh, a lot of senior citizens, former foster kids, people with disabilities, they're all of the groups of folks who are our most vulnerable 11% of the population. They don't have the IDs that can help them escape those um, those realities or help them escape poverty or homelessness or rebuild their lives. 
Uh, and so we uh, work on the ground either ourselves or with partner organizations to help folks get IDs, which sounds easy until you think about like the last time you went to the DMV and you remember <laughs> that first of all, it's terrible. Second, it's expensive. And B, you have to take a huge stack of documents, right? You need your birth certificate, which uh, 15 to 18 million American adults don't have their birth certificates or access to their 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 birth or citizenship records. Um, and go to vital records without an ID, try to get a birth certificate and see how hard that is. Uh, and then you need, you know, proof of residency, which if you're unhoused, really hard, right? If you're someone who is, you know, a senior living with family and your name isn't on any of the utility bills or the lease or anything, like there are a lot of th ways that that's really hard. Um, you need every single uh, record for every time you changed your name, right? Like there's all of these things that you need that if you are unhoused, if you you're unemployed, right? Because you don't have an ID, so you can't legally get a job. It's very difficult. It's very expensive. And so we have to help guide folks um, through that process and do whatever, whatever it takes, pay the fees, get the documents to help them actually get an ID. Uh, and so then on the, the political side, in 2020, uh, we started the Project ID Action Fund because, you know, I realized, well, I can't get 26 million people an ID. <laughs> one person at a time, great as that would be. Uh, and so we need to change the laws. And so we're working on uh, legislation across different states. We've got two great bills in California. Uh, we're working in some other states. We work with local government on different ways that they can increase ID access. Uh, but we also have a bill in Congress, the IDs for an Inclusive Democracy Act, that would just make us like every other country in the world and just create a free federal ID that everybody could have. And so that's my real uh, life goal and mission um, is to make sure that every single American has an ID. Uh, and, you know, the way, the reason the book has the notes from an accidental activist piece is because I've always been an activist, but I really just accidentally became an ID activist. I started Spread the Vote after the 2016 election um, when I, I had been following American election law for a while. I'd studied in law school, but, you know, until Shelby County v. Holder and the systematic dismantling of the Voting Rights Act, we were doing all right. Not perfect, but we were all right. And then all of a sudden we were not. And then the election happened. And I was really focused on voter ID because like most Americans, I didn't know that there was an ID issue in America. And then it took about 45 minutes for us to realize, oh, wait, this is a real, this is a really big deal. And this is about so much more than voting. Uh, and so we really shifted towards the project ID side and making sure that folks have IDs. Um, but then, you know, during elections, we do a lot of work to get folks out to vote. And we run um, the only national program to uh, help incarcerated uh, folks vote, uh, vote by mail in jail, and a lot of other programs in order to actually help the folks who are helping get IDs be able to get to the polls. Um, and so it's now become, you know, my life mission. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, there's so much in there and, and we're going to hopefully have time to unpack each of those different pieces. And, and I feel like you just gave us such a great arc. That's kind of the outline for a lot of the conversation we're going to have, Kat. Um, so I, I want to back us up just a little bit and start with um, 
start with the problem that, um, that, that maybe people are listening to this and going, man, I had no idea of the scale of that problem, right? 26 million Americans who don't have ID. Um, you, you told a little bit of the story of how you first became aware of this. It was because of some of the, um, systematic dismantlement, um, by conservatives of the, of the, um, Voting Rights Act. Um, uh, tell a little bit of that story of like how you became aware of this problem. And then who are the people who don't have ID? You started to tick off some of the groups, but like, let's, let's start a little bit with like, what is the problem that you are seeking to solve here? Um, and then we're, we're going to get a little more deeply into the policy solutions. Yeah. So, you know, it's actually, it's a story in three parts. It's why does this problem exist? How did we discover it? And then who uh, who is impacted by it? Uh, and the reason that this problem exists is because of 9-11. You know, the anniversary is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, the 19 9-11 terrorists had something like 36 state IDs that they got, you know, relatively legally. Um, and so this is why Real ID, which, you know, the joke in the ID community is that Real ID is never actually going to be implemented. They keep postponing it. But the reason we have it uh, is that that was the 9-11 Commission's reaction to this problem uh, was, well, we'll just make the IDs harder to get. Um, but obviously it's been 22 years or something now and we still don't have actual real ID uh, and for a variety of reasons um, but the states didn't wait. Every single state almost overnight made the process and requirements for getting an ID much more difficult. And the thing about state DMVs is for the most part they're not governed by statute. Like in some states they are or there are certain things that they have you know they have to go to the legislature to do but for the most part, it's just a person, you know, in DC, uh, it's just, it's just the mayor, like Bowser can just decide one day that everybody has to, you know, give the, her their left shoe in order to get an ID. And that's just the way it is. But like, it's just a person who decides. And so they all made it overnight incredibly difficult. So that's why for most of us, we don't remember it being that hard, right? When I was 16, I got my driver's license. It wasn't nearly as difficult. We didn't need all of the documents and everything that you need now. And so it's hard for people to understand why it's so difficult for folks now um, because then once you you know once you've had it you renew or you this or that but it's not it's not the same um challenging process but it's also why you know in the 2016 election you started to hear all these stories of you know seniors and world war ii veterans who'd been voting their whole lives and suddenly they couldn't vote well it's because voter id laws were implemented and these seniors who had always been able to vote, they couldn't get IDs because they don't have, you know, a lot of seniors, like my grandmother, they don't drive anymore, right? So they don't really need a driver's license anymore. They don't really need an ID um, if they're, you know, living at home or whatever. And so all of a sudden you're telling them, well, you got to go to the DMV and get an ID, but you have to have your birth certificate which a lot of seniors don't have, et cetera. Uh, and so it was really, it was 9-11 that changed the rules and really suddenly cut out a lot of people, which is what we do in this country, right? We react too much <laughs> to problems and we don't think about all of the consequences of those reactions. 
the way that we found out about this is that, you know, we were thinking about voter ID, like I said, and so we launched in Georgia um, for a variety of reasons. It has an incredible activist community. I had been talking to people all over the country about the issue and solving the issue. We had a lot of, of groups in Georgia saying, hey, we really need this. Come on out. We, you know, we, we, we I know we have a problem that we have all these registration orgs and we're all registering voters, but we all know that many of the people we're registering can't actually vote because they need IDs. And it's not a thing that we can tackle. Uh, So we went out there and almost immediately we started talking to people and saying, hey, we want to get you, you know, a voter ID and, you know, to avoid the the fact that obviously voter ID laws are poll taxes, states uh, will often implement a free voter ID that first of all, nobody knows about. And second, in states like Georgia, they're just as hard to get really as a DMV ID. Um, and so we would go to people and say, hey, we want to get you this voter ID. And they would just look at us and say, I don't have a job. I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. I can't feed my kids. I need a regular ID that I can do things with. I, I don't need this like free voter ID that's not going to let me be able to build my life back up. And um, we realized really quickly, like that's, that is when I started to understand that this was a bigger problem than voting, uh, which was nothing, you know, I've always had, I've had a passport since I was an infant. Like I've always had an ID. I had no idea, like most of us, that this was a problem. So I, you know, I never really judge people who don't know because I know I had an ID organ. I didn't know how big the issue was, right? Like nobody talks about it. That's why I wrote a book. Um, and so, so that's how we figured it out. And we really quickly pivoted and we're like, okay, this, this isn't going to work. We have to get people DMV IDs and figure out how, like, how do we get them legal IDs in their state that they can use for everything? And then, you know, what happens is once you sit down with folks and you help them get the thing they need for their lives and then you say well can we talk about voting now then they're like yeah obviously you know one of the, the most common things that people say to us when they get an id is i'm a person again because you are absolutely not a person in this country without an id and if you're not a person you can't even begin to think about participating in democratic processes because you don't think you belong so that's that's how we feel now and you know when it comes to who's impacted i it's, you know, like I said, it's our most vulnerable populations, right? So it's uh, folks who are formerly incarcerated. It's uh, foster youth and former foster youth. It's folks with disabilities. It's folks who are unhoused. It's, you know, all of the people who we, you know, we do have a caste system in this country, really. And we know it because we all drive past people who clearly desperately need help and don't see them, right? Uh, and it's all of the people in that untouchables caste, all of those people who are, are uh, you know, who are unemployed, who need benefits, who need housing, who, you know, have a wide variety of education. You know, I've had unhoused folks in my car who went to Columbia, right? Who were lawyers who have all sorts. I People do not realize that we are all like two, two disasters, two medium to minor disasters for most of us from being unhoused. Um, but it's, it's folks who cannot change their circumstances alone. Um, and especially now when you look at, so, you know, what happens is you become unhoused. And right now we have this huge problem in most of the country because 
COVID protections are being taken away right now. Eviction and tenant protections are being taken away right now. And so more people are becoming unhoused. And the thing that happens the second you become unhoused is you lose your things, right? You're suddenly in the street or you get evicted and they throw them away. And then once you're on the streets, either you lose things, they get stolen, the cops sweep them and the cops throw away vital documents every single day. And then all of it, and then it's impossible to get them back. Uh, and so it's, it's and people who need uh, not a handout, but who need assistance to be able to get their lives back under their control. Hearing you share a little bit of like how much paperwork it takes to get ID. I mean, you're bringing back memories of of my legal aid days, and that was really my yep. education, as I mentioned up top. Of like, you know, it's one thing when you're uh, you lose your wallet or you have your wallet stolen, and you got to go back to the DMV. Like you said, that can be a headache, and that might be relatable to folks. But if you don't have the basic paperwork that you need to be able to prove that you are who you say you are, right? Which is yep. why I, I so appreciate the way you put that. It's it's about like, you know, um, it's not just about belonging. It's about like being able to prove you're a person, being able to prove to the satisfaction of the government, right? That like you exist and who you are, right? I mean, there's there's an existential level of this, which is part of why I love the title of your book, American Identity in Crisis, right? But because um, it, it literally is an identity crisis if you can't prove your identity, right? Which is what it is not to have ID. But my in, in my legal aid years, I mean, what the memories you're bringing back right now is you relate the levels of paperwork it takes um, and, and the hoops that people People can often have to jump through. I um, uh, learned about this as a public benefits lawyer, and and it wasn't something I expected to be part of what I was going to be doing on the other side of law school. Um, but I would be representing folks who, um, you know, they were eligible for say SSI disability benefits or, or Social Security or food stamps or Medicaid or something like that, and they were having trouble accessing the program. And and one of the most common reasons was they couldn't prove their identity, and so then it would become like sometimes months, sometimes years of having to work across, I don't even know how many different components of bureaucracy yep. to try to get them the, the one piece of paper that could trigger the next piece of paper that could trigger the next piece of paper so that they could even apply for like basic survival benefits, yep. let alone uh, get an apartment, get into stable housing, get a job, like all the things, right? And so um, just hearing you describe all that, I feel like it, it, we kind of can't overstate how, how much bureaucracy can be involved and how um tenable that can be for people without that kind of assistance. This yep. was part of why I was so excited to meet you when um, we were in that um, Rockwood program, because our mutual friend, Rebecca Coakley, right, everything comes back to the Coakleyverse, <laughs> had told me about you, had told me what you were doing. And I was the legal aid lawyer in me was like, oh, my God, thank God somebody is doing this. Because like, we can't just, as you were saying, have this be one person helped at a time, right? Like there's bigger structural problems here, um, which, as you were telling the story, right, were, were um, uh, not created, but certainly exacerbated by um, the heightened uh, uh, process that has has come into being since since 9-11. Um, let's, I want to bring into your, I want to bring your book into this conversation and we're going to talk lots more about the, the issues, but I, I want to use the book as a little bit of a vehicle to do that. Um, because as we're talking, you're, you actually just got the first copies of your book sent to you. Um, and it's, it's a, about to, to go into, into circulation. Um, what was it like taking this issue that you have worked on for years and turning it into this book and, and talk a little bit about the um, the book itself. It, it, it really is, it's a compendium, not just of your own story and your own path to becoming an accidental activist, as you put it, but you also tell a lot of the stories of the people that Project ID and Spread the Vote have actually helped get ID. So um, tell the story behind the book. Yeah, you know, I think that this will 
probably be the easiest book I ever write because it's all the stuff I talk about constantly. And I sort of just sat down and just vomited onto the page. And it was just, I just, it, it happened so naturally because I've wanted to write about this forever because it's all I've talked about for what, eight years now. Um, and it was, it, it was, I thought it would be much more difficult. I now I do, you know, we're lawyers and so we are trained to be too brief at times. And so there were times where I was like, oh, this book could be a one pager. And then I would figure out like, what else do I add? But then I'd think about it and be like, oh wait, I didn't tell these 18 stories. Um and so it was it was a really it was really fun, but it felt really good. Uh, because this is an issue, you know, I'm constantly just like standing on rooftops shouting about and to be able to put it into uh, writing and, and put it on a page and know I'm going to have this book and it's going to be everywhere. And this is going to be the first step in me making sure that every single person in this country knows that this is an issue was amazing. Um, the way that I wrote the book is I, I separated it into uh, for the most part, there's a chapter about sort of 9-11 and how this got started and things, but for the most part, each chapter is talking about a different group that is impacted by this. So, I mean, I haven't even started talking about like veterans, which is the group that incenses me the most, because if there's one group of people who should have an ID, it's veterans, uh, and they don't. I am, you know, so veterans, uh, the unhoused, folks with disabilities, young people, I'm... Uh, folks who are formerly incarcerated, et cetera, uh, because that allowed me to weave the story of how we learned about this and how we learned how to solve the problem and how we built the organization uh, into all of the chapters. But at the same time, it allows us to tell uh, you know, stories about individuals and what their struggle was and be able to illustrate how difficult the process is and what some of the different challenges there are um, for different people you know what that process looked like talk you know it gave me a chance to shout out some of our just incredible staff and volunteers who have you know taken people by the hand and walked them through the whole process um and then it allowed me to you know talk about different statistics my disability chapter there's a whole section where i just really rant about like how stupidly hard it is to get us aside how it shouldn't be and how it's it's criminal like we should go to there should be a war crimes tri tribunal seriously and it is it's cruel and unusual is what it is uh or talking about veterans and you know the massive unemployment of veterans and, and all of these different things and you know if you have any questions about like if you immediately thought oh but there's a va id read the book because it is not what you think it is it will help you get a 10 percent discount at red robin and that is all uh and so you know it gave me a chance to to break down this is this is the issue for this person. And I think one of the things that you'll see in the book is that there are things that are similar for everybody, right? Like getting a birth certificate without an ID is hard for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. You know, there's some states where it is easier than others. Pennsylvania, it's great. New York, it is a true hellish seventh circle nightmare. Um, but it's it's hard for everyone, right? But then there are so many things um, that are individual, like the challenges that 
foster youth have or the challenges that young people in general are having because they are getting driver's licenses at far lower rates than we were in the past, right? And so what that looks like for them or what it looks like when you are formerly incarcerated, um, you know, and and all kinds of different issues. Um, so I wanted to tell the stories of these real people who we've worked with around the country, um, but then use that to be able to help illuminate like what this problem looks like for everybody. So I'm going to put you on the spot to tell maybe a story or two from the book of like, like, like put a face on this, bring, bring yeah. people into this. We could talk about the issues all day, but I feel like just as you're saying right now, these issues don't come to life until you actually say like, here are some of the people who are impacted. So mm-hmm. um, are there any particular stories you want to share from the book that, that are the people that have, have been helped, but who didn't have ID? Yeah. So uh, Miss Diane, was this lovely uh, older lady in Virginia. Um, and, and she she hadn't had an ID in, I think it was 16 years. Um, her husband had passed away uh, and she couldn't access any of their joint bank accounts because she didn't have ID. Uh, but she also had a son who had been incarcerated for 13 years. And I don't know, how many listeners have gone to visit someone in prison, but you need an ID to visit someone in prison. So she hadn't been able to see her son in 13 years either. Uh, and so our team of volunteers were working to help her get an ID, but I'm, um, you know, she didn't have a birth certificate. You know, she was an older lady. Um, and her name had been spelled differently by a variety of government agencies. This to me, my, my legal name is Kelly. It is spelled with an E-Y because it is symmetrical because that is the right way to spell Kelly. I had a passport. I had to send it in to get renewed. They sent me a new passport with my name spelled wrong. Even though they had a passport. Right? And so it's like, that's, that's what happens. And, you know, it was a passport. I was able to send it back and get a new one, et cetera. You know, it took a million years because it does. But for Diane, her whole life, her name had been spelled differently and all these different things. And the DMV, they won't take it. Like if your name doesn't have the exact right number of E's and N's and whatever, they won't take it. And so we had to do this whole process of going back and forth. I'm... And I really describe it in the book of everything the volunteers had to do. And they literally, they had to drive her an hour to a different town, to county clerks and to this and that in order to be able to get her her ID so she could see her son after 13 years. And so she could access the funds that were hers, but that she couldn't access without an ID because her husband had passed away. And, you know, it's, I think that for me, Miss Diane is such a good example of, you know, the way that people could not have IDs and and not necessarily be unhoused, right? And she just was an older lady who, you know, her husband had handled all the banking stuff forever and, and she was just like living her life, um, but could never be by herself get an ID because the process was so confusing that it took multiple volunteers who do this regularly and our general counsel, right, to be able to figure it out. I'm... You know, I also, I think of um, a gentleman in Orlando who actually one of our, our, our field staff in Orlando, he called me and he was like, you got to talk to this gentleman. I just helped. He hasn't had an ID in 40 years. And that was like, until before him, I think the longest we had that someone who hadn't had an ID was like 32 years. So I was like, 40, what? And so I obviously had to get on the phone with him. 
And when he was a young man in Florida in the 70s, I guess, um, he had, you know, been young and stupid, like most of us are, and driven a little drunk and got pulled over. Uh, but he was black and it was well, anywhere in the country, particularly Florida. Uh, and so he had his license taken away and he had thousands of dollars of fines put on his license, which he didn't have then, obviously, and he never had. And the thing about those fines is they just grow and grow and grow. And so he, in his 20s, had his life basically just sort of stripped from him. And so by the time that I spoke to him, he was in his 60s um, and he... Uh, he had lived with his mother his entire life. He'd never been able to work. He'd always just sort of worked under the table jobs. At that time, he was uh, cleaning uh, development projects for some guy who was just paying him under the table. Um, and now he was just trying to get an ID so he could, you know, get some senior benefits. And because his mother obviously was probably going to pass away soon and he was going to need a place to live. And when I asked him, you know, how would your life have been different if you'd had an ID this whole time. And he said, everything would have been different. I would have had a life. Um, and it was such, it was, it was so heartbreaking because everything that he could have done with his life was taken away because of that mistake, you know? And I, I talked about in the book how the first thing I thought of was all of the famous politicians who are very wealthy and very white and killed people with their cars and still managed to be, you know, first lady or senator or whatever. And how the inequality of, of such a small little piece of plastic, right, can completely change people's trajectories. And I think about him all the time. Thank you so much for sharing both of those stories. And my God, right. I mean, just to, to think, right, with literally like having two different timelines that a person's life could have been on, the one where they have yep. the ID and the one where they don't. And and like the reflection on that, it, it, identity crisis really is not, it's not histrionic to to um, to describe the problem that you're seeking to solve in, in that way. Um, so Kat, um, I want to make a little bit of space to talk about some of the solutions here because you mentioned that um, uh, you've, you've learned, you know, over the years and years of, of doing this work that we're never going to be able to address the problem of 26 million people without ID, yep. um, one person at a time. Um, that's true of so many structural problems that we talk about on this podcast. Um, you you referenced very, very briefly up top as you were talking a little bit about um, kind of how you come to this work and some of the work that your organizations have done, that there is legislation at the state level and legislation at the federal level that you've been part of helping to craft to try to solve this problem um, at a, a systemic level. Um, what are the solutions? Would you talk a little bit more about that legislation? And what are you hoping comes from this book in addition to awareness about the problem when it comes to actually solving that problem? Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll talk sort of top down. Um, we have a bill in the house right now it's hr 4852 they change the number every session and i gotta tell you congress it's confusing and i don't love it um that it's not my least favorite thing that you do in congress but i got it it's up there um but anyways it's the ids for an inclusive democracy act and essentially what it would do is it would create a free and optional id for all americans i'm i think we've got it at like 14 and up so well over 26 million american adults i'm and 
my favorite thing about it, you know, besides the fact that it would put us on par with, when I say almost every other country in the world, I mean like literally almost every other country in the world. Everyone has this. My favorite thing is Germans are fascinated by what I do for a living because they don't understand it at all. Like they don't understand voter registration because they're like, your government just doesn't register you. It's like, no, this is America. They don't understand people not having an ID. And I, I everyone I talk to in any other country, I have to explain what I do like very slowly and they don't get it. Because this is not a problem anywhere else. This is one of our very, very many distinctly American problems. Um, and so it would create a free and fresh, uh, an optional ID. But crucially, it would not be distributed by the DMV. It would be distributed by post offices, which, first of all, already do passports, which are more complicated. So it's a thing they can do. But also, there are hundreds of thousands more post offices in this country than DMVs, right? We have we work in West Virginia, uh, where there are very few DMVs. And so we sometimes have to drive people a couple of hours in order to get to the DMV. There's a post office everywhere. There's a post office in every town. There's more than one in most towns. Uh, and so when we're looking at especially access for folks who are in rural areas, which is most of America, um, or just folks who do not want to stand in the 22-hour DMV line and we don't want to make the DMV line any longer, uh, we really purposefully took this out of that process and put it into post offices, which are also federal, which helps. Um, but the other place, they will be distributed in the greatest place on earth, libraries. We all love a library. My grandmother was a librarian. They're the best people on the world. Librarians and astronauts, they're all we need. And also, crucially, people, most people don't know, librarians are already, or libraries, uh, central locations for folks to seek all types of assistance. We actually have libraries now that are starting to hire social workers because they have so many people coming in who they are helping with um, IDs and with applying for benefits and with figuring out how to apply for jobs. You know, there are a lot of unhoused people in libraries because they don't have access to the internet. 1% of our clients have regular access to a phone. So they don't have internet access. And so they go to the library. And I've spoken to librarians all over the country. It has been my very favorite thing about this bill. And they're all so thrilled because they're all like, either we're trying to help get IDs or we've been trying to help and we don't know how to, or we don't have the funds to be able to really do anything. Or, oh, we've had this pilot program. Like they care so much and they want to help so much. And folks who need help are already going to them. And so libraries are the other central place where these would be distributed. And the goal is give everyone a free ID, but also because it's federal, it would be valid in every state, right? So one of the big problems we have is when you, so you used to pre 9-11 be able to take an ID from one state to another state's DMV and they just give you an ID. No more. Now you need all of the original documents every time you move to a new state. So we have a ton of people who move to a new state and are, you know, either unhoused or low income or just starting out or whatever, and they don't have their birth certificates and all these things, and then they can't get a new ID and all of their problems start all over again. With the federal ID, that wouldn't matter. You could take it anywhere. It would be usable on an I-9. You could use it for jobs. You could use it for housing. You could use it for benefits, right, for all of these things. So it would it would change everything. I mean, it would you know, with the swipe of a pen and then a long bureaucratic process to create the ID and whatever else and train the postal workers and the librarians, et cetera. But once it's done, every single American will have an ID. And it'll lead to my goal of, you know, in 10 years, people looking around is laughing and being like, oh my God, what? There was a time when people didn't have IDs. Like the 
next generation that refuses to Google information will never believe that there was a time when Eminem had to do a hearing in Congress or when people didn't have IDs. So that's the IDs for Inclusive Democracy Act. You can go to id4id.org uh, to find more information and importantly to find um, call scripts, emails, phone numbers, et cetera, so that you can reach out to your members of Congress and ask them to support it. Uh, and so we're right now working on getting that you know, support through the House. It has to go through committee. We're working on getting a Senate bill. It's a long journey, but it's one that we're on for good. Uh, while we're working on that, we're also working on state legislation. So we've got a couple of bills in the California state legislature right now, one that would make IDs free for all veterans, because I don't care if a veteran is a trillionaire. If he's a veteran, he should be able to get his ID for free. But also, most veterans are not trillionaires. Most veterans are just trying to like make ends meet. And they're freaking veterans. I grew up on army bases. Everyone in my family is a veteran. So this is personally infuriating, but it's also politically infuriating because the one group of people like we don't have two parties who can agree that six-year-olds should have food and not work in factories, but every party pretends to care about veterans and they don't. And if we can't even get political parties to agree that veterans should be able to have a state ID, then how are we ever going to convince them that foster kids should, right? Or that poor people should, or that just people, right? And so it is both, I think, morally imperative because they're vets, but also because it is the first way for us to convince politicians of why this matters. Um, and so we are working um, in California, and we're working now with legislators in other states on, on putting together and introducing bills uh, for free IDs for veterans in every state. Um, we also have another one in California. Um, so California is great. It's one of the few states that does give free IDs to the unhoused. It's a whole process. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but we have it and I appreciate it. Um, but we don't give free driver's licenses, which are $41. Now they went up $10 this year, which is a thing I know because I'm at the DMV every day. Um, they're really expensive and we don't give people free driver's licenses. And this is America. If you want to get to your job, you probably have to drive. Um, but also... Uh, so the bill would create free driver's licenses for the unhoused, but also free vital records for folks who are low income. So if you're unhoused, same thing. It's a whole process, but you can get free birth certificates in California, but not if you're just low income. But they're $30 each. You know, and I've had, I had a single mom with five kids living in Section 8 housing, and she needed birth certificates for all of them because they all had to go to school. She $30 for each child's birth certificate plus her own, right? Like, there's just, it's so expensive. And so one of the things that we are trying to really convince politicians of is that IDs aren't just about helping folks who are in-house, but also preventing homelessness. You know, in LA, we have something like 230 people who are become unhoused every single day. And so much of that, because I see these people, because I'm one of the first people they find to get an ID. And they're like, I don't have a birth certificate. I don't have an ID. I can't get a job, right? Or again, the second you become unhoused, you lose things. Um, and so if we can have processes for people to get what they need so that they can get jobs so that they can say, stay housed, you know, there's a big issue because you have to have an ID to get Section 8 housing, right? Um, so I have tons of people who find finally get their vouchers after years of waiting, but they can't actually be placed because they don't have housing. I'm sure you saw that too, Valis. Um, but 
what also happens is you'll have one person who has their ID who's living in the Section 8 housing, but then you'll have a bunch of people just living with them because they need housing in their family or their friends or whatever, but they can't get jobs because they don't have ID. And so then you have one person who's sort of bearing that burden. And so, you know, the more that we can do to make sure that everyone has access to it, and again, their own birth certificate, right? So like, the fact that it's this expensive or this hard is ridiculous. Um, and so we're trying to also increase access to those documents. You know, we're working uh, with local jurisdictions on things like increasing the types of residency documents that are accepted. So you have states like, you know, California and Florida that you can use a lot of different things and Wisconsin, which allows like three documents. And so trying to go I'm, you know, to these jurisdictions and say, hey, again, it's not statutory for most states. So you can just make a decision that, you know what? Yeah, actually, let's add three or four different documents. So it makes it easier for people to be able to have those documents to get IDs. Um, and, you know, we're trying to look at all levels so that while we're working on this congressional bill, we're also looking at what are all these issues? You know, we just had an actual like tropical storm in LA because climate change. Um, the streets flooded. You know, we had uh, three months of rain in LA with streets flooded. We've got 75,000 people sleeping on the streets. We had tons of people coming to us afterwards because their documents got washed away. And so we're working with the, the city on document storage for unhoused folks so that, you know, are they just the number of cops who sweep documents or they get stolen and they get lost, right? So can they have a place to store? So we're trying to find policy solutions at all levels um, while also just trying to create a policy that would just solve solve so many of these problems, uh, you know, in one swipe. And we'll have information about all the different um, elements of uh, state level and, and federal level legislation in our show notes so that folks who want to learn more, want to get involved can. Um, Kat, I want to ask one last question about the issues before we um, get into who is Cat Calvin and do a little <laughs> lightning round around that because that's part of what I'm very excited about. Um, but um, you've, I mean, we, you, you've talked extensively and we've, I think, really covered in a lot of different ways um, how this is an economic justice issue, how this is a mm -hmm. poverty issue. But I also want to just come back around to, you know, as the name of one of the organizations you've started spread the vote would would make clear and as you talked about just a little bit in in setting up the um the problem that you're you, you've been you've been working tirelessly to solve um this is a democracy issue as well um and um you pretty much need id to be able to vote um uh I, i'm curious you know we're talking about 26 million people who don't have ids um what difference could it make in a presidential election if all of those people um who don't currently have id actually were able to have id um I assume that's something that you've looked at and thought about. Um, and uh, I, I'm not going to get into which party, um, in my personal opinion, maybe people should vote for in, in November. But assuming that everyone believes that everyone should have access to the ballot box. Um, uh, talk about this a little bit as a democracy issue. Yeah, I mean, look, when 26 million adults can't vote, like not even don't want to vote, but can't vote, I it it makes a huge issue. A, over a tenth of your population shouldn't be blocked from um, the ballot box. You know, one of the things that we see in every election um, is that the number of people who are registered far outnumber the number of people who actually vote on either side, right? Like there's always someone voted for X, someone voted for Y, but then the percentage of people who were registered and didn't vote is bigger than 
both of those. And a lot of that is because folks don't have IDs, right? So in Wisconsin, 200 something thousand people are registered, but don't have ID. In Virginia, it's 225,000. It was, there was a state report on the Georgia Secretary of State site that said 675,000. And then they took that away when I started talking about it. Right. But we know that in every state, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are registered to vote, but they don't have the ID to vote, which means those are people who want to vote, right? Like they went through the, it's not a difficult process, but they went through the process of registering, but then didn't have the thing they needed to vote. So we're not even talking necessarily about, you know, people who don't care about voting, which I got to tell you, I talk to people every day at every level of everything cares there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of confusion there are a lot of reasons that people don't vote but there's not a single person who thinks that they may think their individual vote doesn't matter for whatever reason but who doesn't think that voting as a whole like isn't a big deal everybody understands how our democracy works but we have people who have actually signed up to vote and then find out they can't and we have people the number of people who call us on election day who don't have an ID and are like, oh, I need an ID to vote today. And I'm like, I am sorry. Like, I can help you for next time, but it is polls close in two hours. We, in 2018, we were very lucky because uh, we had a, 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 some last minute funding come in um, and we were like, great, we're going to get people on the ground going through lines at the DMV to make sure everyone has an ID. And we actually found people who were in line and didn't have the ID they needed and who we were able to take to the DMV, get their ID and bring them back. Um, and that happened a few times because we, you know, they were folks who their ID was, you know, sort of expired or whatever, um, or they had had one and lost it. Uh, so they didn't need all of their other documents and we were able to take them and do that. But that that's what, the, we have people who are in line to vote and get rejected because they don't have the ID they need. And so, you know, we have to A, recognize these are people who want to vote because I, I get so much pushback about that. And so, you know, first of all, and if someone doesn't want to vote, that means you need to sit down and have a conversation with them. Like it's not, don't write them off. Uh, but regardless of party, I think right now, you know, people are finally seeing what has always been true about America, or at least what has been true for a very long time, which is that we are divided by socioeconomic status much more than by race or anything else, right? We are, we, are, we have class divisions. I remember being very young and living in England and then coming back and being like, oh, we have a class system too. And like being able to see it in a different way. Um, and so when people are voting on the issues, they are usually voting by class, right? Because that's how things, there, there are few of any issues that only affect people of one particular race, right? Like there really isn't anything. It's it's economics, right? It's healthcare or it's access to jobs or it's climate change, which is going to impact some of us more than others or public health, right? We all had a quarantine, except that there were hundreds of thousands of people who couldn't stay inside and play Animal Crossing and wash their hands every five minutes because they live outside in tents, right? And so we're all voting by socioeconomics. And so when we're thinking about the issues that we care about right now, we probably need more people who are vulnerable voting. Voting right now in America, uh, turnout is directly proportional to socioeconomic status, right? 
99% of the top 1% vote. And then it goes down from there. And you can, we can predict based on what your income status is, whether or not you're going to vote. And we need to change that proportion. And the way to do that, you know, the 26 million adults who don't have ID, none of them are billionaires, right? (laughs) And so if we want to change who's voting because we want people to vote for better access to healthcare and for more equitable taxes and for all of the things we care about, we need to make sure that we're doing as much as we can to lift those folks up. And that's why we work so hard. We have really high voter turnout rates because we spend a lot of time working on it because it is really, really hard to vote if you are poor in this country on purpose. It takes a lot of work. You can't just go somewhere in October, right? It's so hard and it's expensive, but you have to do it because we are living in a country that is that every single demographic except white male landed gentry have had to fight to be able to vote. And right now the people who are fighting to be able to vote are poor. And so by giving folks IDs, it is the first step of the process. It is by no means the last. It's why it's not the only thing we do. You know, you can register people to vote. That does nothing to guarantee that they will. It is, that is the, the smallest step, right? That's, buying running shoes, but then never actually getting out on the streets and <laughs> training for your marathon, right? Um, it takes a lot of different steps to do it. But the only way that things are going to change in this country is if we get the most vulnerable people to the polls, because right now everything is skewed for the top the top 1%. And we're not going to change it until the bottom 1% finally votes. Um, just amen. And, and also just so appreciate you contextualizing that because like so much attention is paid to voter registration. Right. And that's often a thing people are like, oh, that's how I can make a difference. I can get involved in my community, you know, a way that's going to serve democracy and, and make a difference in November by um, by registering folks to vote. And yes, that's really important. And I love the way that you just contextualize the rest of what needs to happen. Right. Um, uh, including um, the, this ID piece. Um, so I, I want to spend the last 10 minutes or so that I have with you doing something of a lightning round, a little bit about you yep. as an accidental activist. Um, and so um, I'm going to ask you to make these fairly quick answers so we can get through a few of them um, uh, <laughs> and, and, and do um, uh, and, and do a little a little bit of, of this kind of in a in a lightning round fashion. So one of the questions that I um, love to ask folks and which I'm going to throw your way as we kick off this lightning round is what is your personal mission statement? And um, do, do you have one? How would you frame it? Yeah, I mean, my personal mission is to ensure that every single American has an ID. I'll take that answer. It tracks <laughs> with the rest of this conversation. Beautiful. Next question. Um, if you are a superhero, and um, I really do believe that every person that I have on this podcast is some form of superhero who works with law and policy and, and other things, um, what do you consider to be your superpowers? I am very good at identifying a problem, coming up with a solution, and then bringing people together to implement the solution. I love that. Um, And knowing you, that also completely, completely tracks. (laughs) Um, uh, A question I'm going to throw your way that is very connected to a series we did earlier this year about self-care as political warfare. And I I made a commitment I was going to bring this in part or in whole into every episode that I do from from then on. Um, uh, How does self 
care show up for you? And do you have um, one or two tips um, that uh, you would share with others in terms of how you uh, take care of yourself so that you can continue to show up for this work? I love this question because I'm I'm single and I don't have kids, so everything I do is self care. <laughs> so I I've got nothing but time. I'm I think things that for perhaps this audience that might be useful is one I I take a lot of vacations. I try to take usually two vacations a year. This year I'm going on a book tour, so that'll be my my fall vacation. But I'm you know I really believe in taking off. We have unlimited leave at work, and I'm constantly like threatening my staff with like stop working even if you just spend a week on the couch like you know like you have to stop we have a lot of mandatory vacations um because i think that it's not working my mother used to always uh give us mental health days from school and just be like you're not going to school today it's a mental health day uh and it was great and my aunt she would take she was a she's a teacher and every year she would take her birthday off and every time there was a new batman movie um and i really learned from them as a kid it's okay to not work, like chill out. And it makes such a huge difference. Um, and so I take a lot of vacations. I take a lot of breaks. I, you know, I generally don't look at my email on at least Saturdays and, you know, Sundays, depending on sort of what's going on or whatever, but I really try to take a lot of breaks. I have a lot of hobbies that I really love and really love getting into. I'm, you know, the great thing about being in LA is that it's a really outdoorsy city and I am a person who loves to hike like most of us. And so I'm always hiking. I live by the beach. I'm, but also, you know, it is, it is easier for me because, you know, I've got to like feed the dog, but otherwise I'll just take it. I'm, every day is self-care <laughs> here when it's just you. I, I love that answer. And also just the, the emphasis on vacations. I mean, that is, it's something that um, it has been so challenging for me. I know it's challenging for a lot of other people, especially if you love your work, if you feel like there, there's always more work than we have space to do. So I, I appreciate you um, uh, sharing uh, that as one of the tips and also just like um, props to your mom for uh, teaching you mental health days when you were in school and also for taking off, not just her birthday, but also release of Batman movies. That's amazing. No, that was, love your that was my, that was my aunt Lynn. I'm she's the best. She's also the one who taught me all about X-Men. Yeah, one thing I'll say, the thing that I tell my staff, because it's hard, right? Because we're on the ground every day working with unhoused folks, and we know that there are these people who desperately need IDs today, and it's hard to take a break. But what I always tell them is, look, you can work yourself to death until you're burnt out in two years, and then you never help anyone again. Or you could take two weeks off a year and then be able to keep help and like not work weekends you know and like take breaks and then you're able to help people for the next 15 years but it's up to you because at some point your body's going to tell you to stop and so stop a couple times a year or stop forever that is indeed how it works that is how it worked for me burnout is real um uh yep. so yes and thank you for <clears throat> for bringing that in um i'm going to ask um, a couple more lightning round questions mm -hmm. uh, uh one of my favorite to ask of, of books on this show is um if you had to pick one and i know it's sort of unfair to ask you to pick only one but what is the most toxic limiting belief that we as a collective need to release um and replace if we're seeking to build an economy where everyone is truly free if one more liberal tells me that we need to get conservative voters on our side because we don't have enough liberals who don't vote, I will literally, I will, I will hurt somebody physically. We have, there's so many people who believe in equality and, and you know, freaking science and whatever 
whatever else who we haven't gotten to vote. There's 26 million of them that I'm working with every day. We don't have to continue to uh, to uh, compromise morals and ethics to try to get this like mythical person because we don't think that there are enough people who will will vote. And I know that's like very partisan, but I don't care because it is a thing that I'm I'm constantly being told by people, well, we don't want to like try to get homeless people to vote. We need to really try to get like middle midwestern white people who voted for Trump. It's like, no, we don't. Like we need to there are people who we keep ignoring. It's so hard for us to get politicians to come to homeless shelters, right? Or for people to to work with former foster youth or whatever. There's so many vulnerable populations who matter and their opinions matter and they have opinions and they can vote and they should be able to vote and we should focus on them more than this mythical person who we think, well, if we just compromise a little more and give away a little bit more of what we believe, maybe we'll get them on our side. But and it's it's because there are people who we see as valuable and people who we see as not. But too bad, change it. That oh, stop! You got me all fired up. <laughs> that is the goal of a lightning round. That is the goal. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, you know, you brought up veterans before, right? I mean, that should like yes, no matter what your political views, I, I think hopefully everyone should agree that veterans should be able to have IT and should be able to vote, right? right. Um, so it, yeah, I, I really appreciate the the way that I think you've, you've situated this larger point about, um, I mean, 26 million people, right? That's also just, it's a wild number when you think about how many mm. people could vote who, who can't presently. All right, continue with lightning round. Stay on your soapbox. Don't leave the soapbox just yet. <laughs> okay. Um, I, what is your walk-up song or your hype song? I know you have one. Oh, I'm actually, okay. No, it's a great song, but I can't remember who I sing there. But it's on my Spotify like song, so I'm pulling it up right this second. It's called Victorious, and, and it is by. Oh my God, where are you? Hold on, it's coming. It's coming. Just wait. It's worth it. Ah, Wolf Mother, which first of all, incredible name, Wolf Mother. And it's Victoria. It's like she is victorious. It's this great, great, badass song. I love running to it. I would totally play it. It's a very like playing you off to Valhalla type of song. It's the best. Amazing. All right. We're going to put that in the playlist because Kings Floyd, one of our fabulous producers, is making a playlist of all of the answers to that question for this season. So very excited to put <laughs> nice. that in. That is an excellent choice for you. Um, <laughs> and we're going to run out of time. So I'm going to give you the chance to close out out by plugging uh, where folks can find your book and anything else that you want to share in terms of what's coming up. I know you're about to embark upon a fancy book tour. I, I am. It's kind of fancy. Uh, well, thanks for having me. This was a blast as I knew it would be. Uh, my book, American Identity in Crisis by Kat Calvin, uh, is available for pre-order everywhere. You can go to catcalvin.com slash pre-order uh, for the links. But, you know, indie books, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you know, here's the thing. If you insist on giving Bezos your money, at least leave a review. So you're doing the world some good at the same time. Um, but it's available everywhere. It'd also be available in bookstores. Um, I am going on a very fancy book tour at catcalvin.com. I have uh, the dates as we're adding, but I'm, I'm guessing a lot of listeners are probably in DC. I'll be at Politics and Prose with uh, Rep Kasten, who is the wonderful sponsor of our bill. I'm on September 21st. I'll be at Housing Works in New York with City Councilwoman Shahana Hanif on September 18th. I'll be on Morning Joe on the 19th, uh, which will be 
it'll be so early for this little West Coaster that I would probably sound like an idiot, but I'll do my best. Um, I'll be at Diesel, uh, the bookstore in LA with uh, Board of Supervisor Lindsay Horvath on the 27th, um, and then different different uh, places around the country. So please, 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 please come out uh, to my little fabulous book tour. Um, I'll have stickers. <laughs> And we'll have links. We'll have links to all of this in show notes, so folks can yes. come stalk you and find you at your events. Kat Calvin is the founder of Spread the Vote Project ID, the Project ID Action Fund. She's the author of American Identity in Crisis: Notes from an Accidental Activist. Um, go check her out and subscribe to her newsletter too. Hot takes and applesauce. She's very funny, as you can tell. Kat, thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations again on your book. Um, and I'm super excited the next time that I have you on Off Kilter to talk about how tarot shows up in your life. Um, as of course, oh, other conversation we can have about all of that stuff too, but um, we're going to have to leave it there today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this was so much fun for me. Thank you. And that does it for this week's show. Off Kilter is powered by the Century Foundation and produced by We Act Radio with a special shout out to executive producer Troy Miller and his merry band of farm animals and the phenomenal Kings Floyd who keeps us all in line week to week. Transcripts which help us make the show accessible are courtesy of Cheryl Green and her fabulous feline co-worker. Find us every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And if you like what we do here at Off Kilter Enterprises, send us some love by hitting that subscribe button and rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts to help other folks find the pod. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.